So we're in 1 Corinthians 1 again today. Let's just pick it up in verse 18 and read through the end of the chapter. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. That, that is our desire, Lord, that we would boast in you. So we ask for your help to get us there. Uh, God, teach us what we have in Christ. Stir in us affections for that and help us to proclaim it. God, show us where we may boast in ourselves, boast in the things of this world and the treasures of this world. Help us instead to keep those things in their place, to rather use every earthly gift for your glory. God, I pray today as we dive into sanctification, that this would not be merely an intellectual exercise of growing in knowledge of doctrine, but that this doctrine would encourage us and strengthen our faith and lead us to live lives of holiness and godliness for you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We're picking up where we left off a month ago. So we, we, I described Christian boasting as knowing what we possess in Christ treasuring that and proclaiming that. So possessing, treasuring, proclaiming. That's, that's Christian boasting. This is Paul's desire for the Corinthians. We'll talk a little bit about why that was. But, but this is also God's desire for us, right? that our boast would be in the Lord. That we would know what we possess in Christ. Wisdom from God. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And we would treasure these wonderful gifts. That's why we've taken a sermon for each of those. We're now on sanctification. I've done a sermon on Christ our wisdom and Christ our righteousness because we need, to, we need to treasure what we have in Christ. These are big, significant doctrines in the scriptures. So I hope by diving deep, it is good for us. And one of the things we're seeing from Paul is a paradigm shift. That is a, a new way 
of seeing the world, of thinking about our lives. This is what Jesus does for us. He gives us new minds that we would understand God. He gives us new hearts that we would love like God. He gives us new affections to enjoy God and His ways. He makes us holy. And, and that is radically different than you would see the world without Him. It's radically different than you would think and love without Him. The fruit, or we might, we might describe this paradigm shift, this different way of seeing and thinking and living as the fruit of our sanctification. That's what we dive into today. Christ, our sanctification. So it's, I like definitions. I always like to start with the definition. What is sanctification? Sanctification is being made holy. It's very simple. Sanctification is being made holy. Now, the New Testament uses the word sanctification in two different ways, essentially, uh, basically, right? One is to describe our position with God. So, Christians, you are made holy. You are sanctified. You have been made holy. It's, it's a finished, completed work of God. We'll call that positional sanctification. Uh, the other way the New Testament speaks of this is in terms of God making us holy progressively. That is, we are being sanctified. We are learning holiness and increasing holiness. So th those are two categories. We'll look at those in turn. Positional sanctification, you are holy. And progressive sanctification, you are being made holy. God is making you holy in Christ. So back to 1 Corinthians 1.30 which says, because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, now we'll just do dot, 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 sanctification. So Christ became to us sanctification. So the question is how? How has Christ become for us holiness? Paul is essentially saying that the holiness of Jesus is the holiness that we have been given from God. So we should ask, well, what, what is Jesus' holiness? How is Jesus holy? Which we get to celebrate Christmas then in June. So we go back to the Christmas story. The angel Gabriel tells Mary, this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. He says, the Holy Spirit will come to you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. So Jesus Christ is holy because he is the Son of God. We call him holy not because Jesus attained holiness by a perfect life, but because he is holy as God the Son who came in holy flesh. So Jesus' holiness is eternal. It's permanent. It's something he possessed, not something he gained because he's God. So Jesus' holiness is God's holiness. What's God's holiness like? This takes us to Isaiah chapter 6. A great description of God's holiness when the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord. I'll read this for, from, from Isaiah 6. This is in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. This gives us a bit of a definition of God's holiness. God's holiness radiates so brightly that angels have to cover their faces. God's holiness describes his perfect purity, his absolute goodness. This is why all of creation is filled with the brilliance of his holiness and all of God's creatures sing praises to his holiness. Holiness is who God is. It is everything that is good and right about him. It is all his perfection and purity and the holiness that Isaiah saw and heard is the holiness of Jesus Christ. Now, if God has made us holy in Jesus Christ, then that means that you and I share in that exact same holiness. God has made us holy with his holiness. Not that you're going to be God, but that rather you and I now can be in the presence of God, faces uncovered, feet uncovered. As because God has made us holy to be like him, we can now know him and love him and enjoy him and praise him rightly with no fear. Now, I call that a gift and it's an astounding gift. Because our faces should be covered in the presence of God. Right? We should be ashamed in the presence of God. Remember Isaiah's response in verse 5 after he sees this. In verse 5 it says, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And that's the issue, right? Without God giving us his holiness, we're lost. We are unclean people with unclean lips and unclean souls. Isaiah speaks for every sinner in the presence of God when he says, woe is me. Like, I'm in danger. I shouldn't be here. We cannot stand before the holiness of God because our sin casts us out of his holy presence and into his holy judgment. And yet, in a spectacular act of the mercy of God, he has given us holiness by uniting us to Jesus Christ. He has fit us with his holiness so we are sanctified. We are purified. We are made fit to dwell with God. Why would God do that? Why would God take unholy people to bring into his presence? He does it because this has been God's purpose from eternity, from the beginning of time, to make a holy people for himself. Think of Adam and Eve. He made them and they were good. They were a holy people for himself. He created humanity in his image to be holy, to know him and love him and enjoy him and praise him. Of course, we know what happened. Adam and Eve fell into sin. But that didn't, that didn't derail the plan of God. Rather, God has always determined to make a holy people for himself. So he calls Israel. And listen to how God speaks of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And this is just one example in Deuteronomy 7 of dozens of places in the Old Testament where God speaks like this to Israel. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. God says, for you are a people, this is Moses speaking, but for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. So God called Israel to be a holy people for himself. This is the plan of God. Of course, Israel's holiness would come from their obedience to the law, which they failed. We all fail. We can't keep the law of God, which should drive Israel and us to seek a holiness that comes not from obedience to a law, but from God who would show us grace. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ, right? God is now sanctifying a people to be holy for himself. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we have an echo of this Old Testament holiness. When Peter is speaking not, not to Jewish people only, but to people from all nations, 2 Peter, or sorry, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is who you are, Christians, a holy people, a treasured possession of God that we could proclaim His excellencies. We could praise Him with faces uncovered. Because Jesus Christ is God, Jesus Christ is holy. Because God has united us to Jesus Christ by His grace, through faith, we share in the holiness of Jesus. All our sin is paid for on the cross. All of our life is guaranteed in the resurrection. We are now sanctified in Christ Jesus. We are the treasured possession of God to live in his presence forever. That is how Christ Jesus became for us sanctification, which means your position with God, your, your judgment, your status has completely changed. You who were once unholy have been made holy. And, and that is a complete and finished holiness. And I'm, I'm emphasizing this and will continue to emphasize this for quite a while because I think you and I are probably well aware of our present sin. Right? right? We, we hear that we are holy, the holy people of God, and yet we think, I know I have sin in my life. Like, how can you say I'm holy? Where, where's, where's, how does that fit? And, and the greatest fear that we could then have if we recognize our sin and hear about our holiness is that somehow our sin could undo that holiness. That somehow the sin that would be present in my life would separate me from God again. But I'm emphasizing your position before God. You are sanctified. It's done. It's over. It's finished. It's our position. Now, we'll talk about present sin in a moment because that... that is tied into our holiness. God is making us holy. Sanctification is also about growing in holiness, but I don't want you to miss the treasure of your positional sanctification. God now and forever reckons you holy in Jesus Christ. One of the ways the Bible will make this, this clear, God and his word, is by speaking of your sanctification as if it has already happened. As if your holiness is, is already finished. It's not quite in the past, but, but here's how. Let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Where he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit 
of our God. Again, or Hebrews 10 verse 10 says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. So it speaks as if our holiness has already been accomplished. And, and you might say, okay, well, that's fine. But if that was past tense, which is really not past tense, then maybe it would run out. Maybe God's grace for my sin would run out. That, that Christ's holiness would only get me so far. How can I be sure it will get me to the end? Well, listen to how Paul talks about Christ sustaining your holiness and guaranteeing your holiness in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, which says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now listen to this. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So you, you were sanctified by the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ is guaranteeing that you will end sanctified. You will end holy. You will end without blemish, being presented to God as the holy people of God. So, so your position, Christians, before God is holy. Now, how does that reality then change the way you see the world, the way you see your life? Well, think about the, the Corinthian Christians. They, they lived in a, in a world where uh, religious ritual is what kept them holy, right? So if there's some sort of, maybe whether they were like pagans that worship all sorts of different gods or even, even the Jewish people uh, in Corinth, the, the idea was, is that I needed to do certain things to be good, to be holy, and, and therefore please whatever deity I might be worshiping. If you think about that system, we could describe that as holiness as a competition, right? You have to earn it. Holiness without Jesus is competitive. That is exactly how the world works today. I think if you ask most people, and you really dig as you're talking to them about their position before God, You'll hear this argument often. I'm a pretty decent person. I've done more good than bad. Right? There it is. That, that's holiness as a competition. Right? As if, before I, when I get to God, I can say, listen, I know I've done a lot of bad things, but I've also done a lot of good things. And my good outweighs my bad. That's holiness by competition. And that can easily creep into the church. Christians, we can think this way. I mean, this is the problem that Paul's addressing in 1 Corinthians 1. As if... Paul can make you more holy than Apollos, right? I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Christ, this little division that's happening in, in Corinth, as if saying, I, I'm, I subscribe to this teacher, I come from this tradition, or I, I practice this way, would make me a little bit better than the, the Christian down the road. That, that's not the holiness that comes from Christ. No, what, what the gospel brings into utter clarity, what Jesus shows us with certainty is that there is one holiness. It's God's. It's given to us by grace through Jesus Christ. So either Christ is your sanctification or you are not holy. Every time we have that urge then to make ourselves holy, whether that's through religious law-keeping or ritual or by belonging to the right group, every time we sense that urge, we have to run to Jesus and say, no, my only holiness is in Christ. I learn holiness from Him. I receive holiness from Him. Above all, I rest 
in holiness that comes from Him. That's why we have to treasure that gift. Now, the, the, your positional sanctification then is cause for both praise and confidence. Like, I hope the praise is obvious. Because God has made us holy. How, how can we not praise Him for that? How are we not filled with gratitude and joy? And we, we've sang songs this morning of Christ's victory. Like, victory is, is, is something we shout with joy. He's conquered sin and death. He has given us freedom into holiness. So that, that's praise. But your positional sanctification should also give you confidence that you can cling to the certainty of your salvation. I, I would guess that probably at some point in your life, you have had questions about whether or not you're really saved. Am I really a Christian? Am I, am I really holy? You've probably had doubts. And how do you answer that? How do you answer those doubts of whether or not you're really saved? Well, the, the strongest answer comes not from you, not from what you have done or haven't done, but from God and what He has most certainly accomplished in Christ. He has made you holy. The real issue of assurance of your salvation is, do you trust God to do the work? Or are you trying to make yourself holy? Are you trying to earn holiness? So that's, why we, that's why I'm just pounding into the ground. Positional sanctification. You have to lean on that and cling to that for confidence in your salvation. You know, kids, I think this is something, this is the one thing you could write down in your little notes that you would learn today, kids. I want you to remember this. Don't forget this. Only God can make you holy. Only God can make you holy. This is why Jesus died for you. He wrote to make you holy. He rose from the dead to make you holy. This is what your parents and your church is teaching you. You need to trust the Lord to make you holy. And, and the good news is God doesn't fail. So, so before we, we shift to talking about progressive sanctification, like you've got a foundation that you must build on. Whatever process God might bring you through to bring you to a place of greater holiness in this life between your faith and your death is built on the foundation that you possess present, eternal, unshakable holiness from God. You have been sanctified, made holy in Christ Jesus. What a gift. And, and it's a gift that you and I grow up into. We possess holiness, but we're still learning holiness. Right? This is why we, we're still aware of our present sin, right? We're still tempted. We still suffer. We still do foolish things. We still feel lost and confused, right? We can still pray Psalm 38, like I'm weighed down by the burden of my sin. And that's not a contradiction with your holiness that you have from God. Because if, if all you see is your life on earth, of course you're not holy. But we have faith in the promise that before God we are holy and we will be holy. Not only that, God promises to progressively teach us and to mature us into holiness in this life. Now, the New Testament makes this connection by using what are called perfect tense verbs. If you don't like grammar, just hang with me. You need to learn to like grammar. This is, this is the only bit of grammar that you need to love. Perfect tense verbs, which are events that are completed in the past and have present effects. That's what a perfect tense verb is. Something that's completed in the past that has present 
effects. I'm going to give you one verse that I think captures this wonderfully. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Hebrews 10, 14. Listen to how this works. Remember, complete event completed in the past with present effects. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Hear that? Like past, he has perfected. That's, that's the perfect tense verb. That's actually, so it's a past event. He has perfected those who are being sanctified. Present effects. So God has made you holy, positional sanctification, and... God is making you holy, progressive sanctification. So progressive sanctification is the process in which God is working in us through Christ to make us holy. You know what that means? You can change. Like You can actually learn holiness. You can put sin to death. Like You can resist temptation. You can learn love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like, this isn't a promise that you'll be perfect. That's, that's coming in eternity. But this is a promise that God, right now, through Christ, is and will produce in you the fruits of holiness. It's our confidence in our position before God that gives us hope for holiness in this life. I think the best verse that I can think of in the New Testament that captures this is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians 1, verse 6, a great verse to memorize. If you've never, if you're into memory verses, which you should be. First Corinthians, or sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Right? He who began a good work in you, positional sanctification, will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. That's progressive. God is working. This is a promise. God will change you for the better. I want that. Like I want less temptation and more victory. I want less sorrow and more joy. I want less foolishness and more wisdom. I want less sin and more holiness. And God promises he will produce that in us through Christ. Now, I want to know what mechanism does God use to do that? If, if, if I can change... By the power of God working in Christ, by being united to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, if I can actually change, how does that work? So I've got, I don't know, four steps? Five? Yeah, four. Four ways in which God produces sanctification, holiness in us. Number one, our progressive sanctification happens in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why, again, like, in Him... Right? By, by him, you, have, you are united to Christ. God has made you holy by uniting you to Christ. But, but even in your growing in your holiness, cannot happen on your own. Like, you can't be holy without Christ. It's through Christ, with Christ, from Christ. Jesus prays for your holiness, your sanctification. And the night when he, he was betrayed, in John 17, we read this, what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He says, John 17 Starting in verse 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now listen to this. Jesus says, And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus' holiness 
and demonstration of his holiness was for the purpose that you would be sanctified. Now, don't overthink this. The more you know Jesus and love Jesus and enjoy Jesus and praise Jesus, the more you will be like Jesus. And he's holy. Like You grow in holiness through a relationship with Jesus Christ because that's how relationships work. Right? You realize, whether you like it or not, you are like your parents. You are like your spouse. You are like your friends. Jesus' prayer then is that we would be like him because we become like the people we have a relationship with. And so, so I just say like, but I'm the sort of person that says, okay, that's great. You grow in your holiness by relationship with Jesus. I can't see Jesus. I can't touch Jesus. I, I can read my Bible and pray, which are super important towards holiness. Right? I'm, not, I'm not trying to negate that, but, but I'm a little bit more of a, of, of a cynic and a skeptic that says, but, but how do I have a relationship, a love relationship with Jesus? Well, you realize that Jesus does have a body on earth. It's called the church. So, number two, progressive sanctification happens in relationship with the body of Christ, the church. You, you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, grow in your relationship with his body, his bride. When you love the church and serve the church, receive from the church, submit to the church, worship with the church, grow in friendships within the church, you will become more and more holy. And I'm not saying church as an institution, I'm saying church as the people. You will become like Christ. One of the prayers that I have for our congregation, one of the ways I, I like to talk about my hopes for our congregation is, is with this little phrase, discipleship through friendship. That is, you grow as a disciple of Jesus, you grow in holiness like Jesus by having friendships within the people of Jesus. And again, here's why. This is how relationships work. You become like the people you are in relationship with. And so if you are growing in friendship with other Christians, guess what you'll become like? Them, what are they becoming? Holy in Christ. You'll grow in holiness. This is why Christian friendships are so critical in all stages of life. I think a lot of us would, would say to teenagers and young adults, hey, you guys really need Christian friends. And amen, you desperately need Christian friends. So do you if you're 50. And if you're 80. And anything else in between or above or below. Right? We, we need Christian friendships to grow in holiness. Jesus gave us a picture of this in John chapter 13. You remember Jesus washed the disciples' feet? And, and he told, and Peter got upset, right? Well, you don't get to wash my feet, Lord. He says, uh, no, you need me to wash your feet. And he says, well, then wash all of me. And Jesus, remember his point, he says, Peter, I've already washed you. You just need your feet washed. It's a picture of sin. I've made you clean, Peter. Now I'm, I'm cleansing you of sin. This is something that I'm going to continue to do in you. It's positional sanctification, but do you, or progressive, sorry, sanctification. But do you remember what Jesus said after that? He said, if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, I don't think that's a command that we ought to bathe each other's feet quite literally with water, um, although that can be a powerful picture. It, it's a command that we would be active in, whole, in making each other holy. right? If Christ has washed us, positional sanctification, washed our, all of us, and he is washing our feet, progressive sanctification, then what should we do? Make each other holy. We should wash each other's feet. So God works through relationships in the church to help each other be holy. Number three, our progressive sanctification happens through 
effort, through effort, we boldly proclaim salvation by grace alone. We boldly proclaim, to use the language we're today, right? Positional sanctification by grace alone. You don't earn it. There is no amount of effort that can make you holy before God. But progressive sanctification, growing in the holiness that we already possess, happens through effort. It's the fruit of your efforts. God calls you, and I'm going to give you a ton of verses. Well, not a ton, but just a bunch of verses here in a second. God calls you to trust, obey, submit, and work for holiness. Here you go, Romans 6. Ed read for us already, Romans 6, verse 19. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 1, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. 2 Corinthians Chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. You catch that? Cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 14, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies, or literally sanctifies himself as he is pure. I don't know, how many, the five, six verses, and I've got more if you, if you want more. God has made us holy in Christ so that we would work for holiness in this life. We, we would put in the effort to cleanse our consciences, to submit ourselves to God, to be holy. And, and we work with confidence that God is working in us and produces holiness. So Christians, like study, pray, build godly families, work hard for the glory of God, go to church, tell others the gospel, be hospitable, serve others, teach, love, worship, work for holiness. And God will work holiness in you. Now, sometimes I think that sounds tiring. Right? We think, golly, you're telling me that I now need to put effort into holiness. I've got so much else to do. Like, how am I going to have time to be holy? Isn't there an old hymn that says, like, take time to be holy? I think so. Like, how, how do I have time to be holy? It sounds like it would wear me out. Well, the thing is, if, if you live all of your life in the direction of being holy, it sort of incorporates into everything you're already doing, like working and raising children, like resting. And here's the other thing. It is not a bad thing to be tired after doing hard work. 
right? If you work hard for holiness and that wears you out, you will rest well. The fruit of holiness is most satisfying. Again, just, just so there's never any confusion, I'm not telling you that you have to work for your salvation. Rather, we work for the joy of holiness. We all have the time and the energy to be holy. We all have the ability to be holy because you have the Holy Spirit in you. It will take repentance and sacrifice. It takes effort to be sanctified. But when all of life is lived in light of your positional sanctification, then the work of your progressive sanctification is actually a work of worship, which brings freedom and rest. Now, some of you are probably a little uneasy with that. This emphasis on effort, you're saying, what about grace? Don't forget about grace. Of course we won't forget about grace. Like Number four, our progressive sanctification happens by grace. So there we go. Progressive sanctification by effort, progressive sanctification by grace. That is, we are made holy by a work of God. Sometimes, praise the Lord, despite our lack of efforts. Like sometimes God makes us holy even when we aren't putting in any effort. But often, God's work in us is in concert, in unity with our effort. And, and no matter how it works, at the end of the day, when we work really hard, we praise God for any holiness in us because he's ultimately the one that sanctifies. Right? <laughs> yes. Amen. Like, work really hard and then praise God, not yourself. That's whole, the that's whole point of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right? Don't boast in yourself. Boast in the Lord. Because of God, this is 1 Corinthians 1.30, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us sanctification so that, dot, 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 you would boast in the Lord. Or Hebrews 9, verse 13, 14, verse 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This is what Jesus is doing in you by grace. Through your relationship with him, through his church, through his effort, Jesus is doing the heavy lifting he is purifying you. He is sanctifying your conscience. He is teaching you to serve and work. He is changing your desires. He is making you holy. It's a gift. It's grace. So yes, work at it with all your might. But it is God who works in you, Paul says. This is Philippians 2. It's not in your notes, but Philippians 2. God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. God produces holiness. We are sanctified by God's grace. And that should radically change how you see the world around you, how you live your life in this world. Remember, part of Paul's emphasis, or maybe his main emphasis here in, in 1 Corinthians 1, is that God in the gospel of Jesus Christ is showing the wisdom of the world to be foolish and weak. In other words, God is showing that the world's methods for holiness are useless. I think holiness is at the heart of all human effort. Like most human philosophies, most man-made religions all have one goal. We're trying to be better. We're trying to be healthier. We're trying to be happier. We're trying to make the world and our lives and our eternities better. Now, the motives behind 
people's actions might be good. But the methods fall miserably short. Why is it that our society, with all the resources we have, all the knowledge, all the technology, all the money, why is it that we can't figure out how to govern? Why is it that we can't figure out how to educate? Why is it that we cannot figure out how to enforce justice or to stop injustice? Why can't we fight diseases effectively? Why can't we actually help the poor? Why is it that we can't do family or work or play or rest well? I mean, I don't know if you value, I get the sense, and I hope you do too, that when, when you read the news, when you look through social media, when you observe your friends and your neighbors, when you even look at your own life, like we're trying to do something good, but we're really bad at it. We're bad at life and family and work and culture. I'm not saying there aren't bright spots, like there are bright spots. But our efforts to produce holiness on our own fail and fail miserably. Why is that? Because we can't make ourselves holy and God in Christ is showing the wisdom and strength of the world to be foolishness and weakness so that we would see holiness that comes from Jesus as the wisdom and strength and power of God. He makes us holy. His ways are holy. He teaches us holiness. He blesses our efforts when we work towards holiness. Mere human efforts only expose how unholy and foolish we are. This is why Christians, if, if you want to change the world, if you want to govern well and educate your children, if you want to have a happy family and work hard and rest well and enjoy life, be holy. Be sanctified. Rest in, this, in the holiness you've been given in Christ and put your efforts into being holy through Christ. Trust God to change you. Like if you're living a life of holiness before God, you will find that his methods work, that his methods bring the joy and peace that we would expect to come from him. It's what God does. He makes us holy. We ought to treasure it and proclaim it as we boast in him. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would make this church holy. You have made your people holy. God, we, we don't want to be arrogant thinking that somehow by our own doing we would make ourselves holy and therefore live lives of holiness that would be pleasing to you and beneficial to us. Uh, we want to do this in humility. We, we want to say humbly before you, we will submit ourselves to you so that you can produce the fruit of sanctification. Uh, we want to humbly come to you knowing that, that we should have our faces covered, but in Christ you have forgiven our sins. You have welcomed us into your presence so we can praise you freely. We want to come to you humbly trusting Jesus to make us holy. Resting in his, his love and mercy. God, I pray that you would stir in us a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ that would produce in us the fruit of holiness as we learn holiness from each other. God, may Christ be the one that we boast in as he is our holiness. It's in his name we pray. Amen.